Welcome to 2019. I'm going to ask you a question today that God asked Elijah some years ago. What are you doing here? Somebody left this morning and said, well, I was here to hear you preach. Well, there's got to be a, even a deeper response than that. I'm going to start out in the first verse of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Just to give you a background on all of this. The Bible says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. (laughs) That's kind of discouraging, isn't it? Remind me of the guy that walked into the sports bar around 10 o'clock at night and there were all those flat screen TVs and all of them had the news, the 10 o'clock news on. Well, as he was looking up at it, there was a man on the ledge and there was a news crew down below on the street and somebody was trying to coax him off the ledge. A lady sitting next to him said, do you think he'll jump? He said, oh, I bet he will. She said, no, I don't think so. I'll bet he won't. And he said, oh, I do. I think he will. And she said, well, here's $20. And at that point, the man took a swan dive off the ledge to his death. And the lady says, I am so upset I cannot believe it. She said, but a bet is a bet. Here's my $20. And he said, oh, no, no, I couldn't take that from you. You see, I saw that at the 5 o'clock news and I knew that he was going to jump. Well, the lady looked at him and she said, well, I saw it too, but I didn't think you'd do it again. <laughs> so the man kept the 20. <laughs> well, sometimes we get caught up in things in our own lives where we do things and we don't think we'll ever do that again. And then we're surprised, you know, we almost go through life betting with the enemy. I bet I don't ever do that again. I bet I don't ever say that again. And The Lord, next thing we know, we take a swan dive into that particular thing. Well, here's here is Ahab and Elijah and Jezebel, three characters that come across the pages of history. And God paints them all, including Elijah, warts and all. So the thing of it is, is Elijah is just coming off a phenomenal victory. He was up on Mount Carmel, and there he had challenged Ahab to bring all of those prophets that ate at the dinner table with Jezebel, the queen. Jezebel was quite the queen. Ahab had no control over Jezebel. In fact, it was Jezebel that kept Ahab in his kingly throne through her manipulation and deviousness, and she is the epitome of evil. So she has all of these prophets who would sit at her table and tell her how wonderful she was, 
mortal she was, how she couldn't lose at all in any campaign. They kept boosting her ego, and so she needed that. There were all of these prophets. There were some 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And as there, those 850 prophets tried to challenge Ahab, um, try to challenge Elijah, and Elijah challenging them, it was no contest. God's never been impressed with the majority. So here was a minority of one, Elijah, there on Mount Carmel, who, through God's own intervention, defeated these prophets. Now, the, the way the 18th chapter ends is that there had been a, a drought that had been in three years plus of existence because there had been no rain. And, and Elijah told Ahab, the, the rain, the drought is over. The rain is on its way. You need to hurry back to town. The Bible says that Elijah hurried ahead in front of him and got to the town before Ahab did. Six miles. Why? I wanted to make sure there wasn't any fake news coming out of that, out of that uh, castle of his. And so he was able to make sure that the word spread through the people of Israel about what God had done on Mount Carmel, that they got God's perspective. When Ahab came back, he reported it to Jezebel, and she was not a happy camper. So here we have it. When she comes out, she says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Those of us that were raised with Westerns, cowboy movies. You know what she's saying? Get out of town by sundown, son. I'm going to have your head. And that's exactly what she was saying. I'm going to have you on a platter. And so, why did she not just send her armies in to kill him where he was? Because it would have made him a martyr. It would have made him uh, even more revered than he was. She knew that he was weak after that victorious moment on Mount Carmel. She knew that if she sent this word, maybe, just maybe, and probably so, that he would flee the city and then she could overtake him somewhere in the desert. Well, she was right. When the word got back to Elijah, Elijah was afraid. How can you be afraid? How can you have fear come into your heart after such a great victory? You see, defeat follows hard on the heels of victory. Some of us have had these experiences where we've had these marriage enrichment retreats, we've had these spiritual uh, retreats, we've had Bible camps, whatever the case might be, revivals. And uh, we just come out of it just feeling so pumped for the glory of God. When it, something happens to us and it deflates us immediately. There's that, there's that enemy that comes in and begins to whisper in our ear, it's not going to last. It was only temporary. Welcome to reality. And that's what he was saying to Ahab. Welcome to reality, Ahab. And to uh, Elijah as well. So, welcome. Now you can see that this roller coaster that you're on, Elijah, is about to hit rock bottom. You've had your victory. Some of you have been that way yourselves. 
Elijah was a man just like us, James 5.17 says. And I am comforted by that. Because I see in Elijah from time to time some characteristics and some character flaws that I too possess. And maybe you do too. But it's that enemy that's constantly at us. That is constantly trying to defeat the victory. Snatch victory from the jaws of defeat or snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. One of the two. The enemy is out there trying to snatch that victory from us. Chuck Swindoll put it this way. The enemy says to the unemployed, no choice, no chance. To the divorced, he says, no place. To the bereaved, he says, no hope. To the struggling, he says, no way. And so, here the enemy is saying to Elijah, you're done. Your time is over. So, now we pick it up. And the Bible says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. Why Beersheba? That's a very important place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, encountered the Lord. So there he was in Beersheba. He left his servant there. Why would he leave his servant there? For two reasons. He probably set him free. First of all, because he wanted him to flee for his life. He knew Jezebel was in pursuit. And secondly, had they caught up with him, the servant wouldn't be able to tell his captors where Elijah had fled. So Elijah left him there and continued on. And there the Bible says that while he went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree. Juniper tree is what King James Version says, but it's actually a broom tree. It's a bush where animals and people could find shelter and shade in the wilderness. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. This is a classic case of depression. Burnout, depression, it's all there. Elijah is classic in it. And so, God sends an angel. And the angel feeds Elijah. And tells him to rest up. Then wakes him up again and feeds him. Then Elijah takes that 40 day journey into the wilderness until he reached Horeb. Now Horeb is where Moses encountered God. It's Mount Sinai. It's that mountain range that right there. And it was a holy thing for them. The mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. Well, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, it's kind of interesting, when God created Adam and Eve, here was Adam and Eve had sinned, had disobeyed God, and they were trying to hide from God in the Garden of Eden. And God said, Adam, where are you? Why would God ask mankind where he is? Doesn't God know? Oh, yeah. But Adam didn't know. God asked us that question so that we will be confronted with the question, and answer it honestly. Where are you, Adam? And to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why have you come to this place? What brought you here? Let's talk about it. Let's converse about it. Look down in the depths of your soul, Elijah, 
and tell me, what are you doing here? You see, there were three stages of Elijah's life. And for three years, for the past three years, Elijah did not make a single move without hearing and obeying God. When you read the 17th and the 18th chapters. He wouldn't do anything until God instructed him. But now, all of a sudden, he's caught up with himself. His self-pity comes in and things begin to happen. So, the first thing he did was run. 90 to 100 miles was how far he ran from Jezebel and Ahab. And as he left his servant there, he ran further. He ran from his troubles. Some of us here today may have maybe here, having run from troubles. Maybe you didn't confront them where you were. Maybe they are trying to follow you where you are. But you continue to try to run from your troubles, whatever they might be. It's pretty obvious that we see what Elijah's troubles were. He was trying to keep himself alive, or so he thought. And so, some of us run from these troubles of ours. I've seen it over the years that, uh, you know, people relocate, they get new employment, they go to different congregations, different places of worship, different clubs, whatever the case might be, because they didn't rectify a problem where they were prior. And so they run. Secondly, he ran from himself. You see, in verse 4, he said, I am no better than my ancestors. Now, here's, here's a little hint from God to you and me. God doesn't ever ask us, nor did he ever ask Elijah to be better than his ancestors. He only asked us to be the best us we can possibly be. And that's what he created us to be, is the best person that he has created us to be. Well, some of us feel like Elijah. We, we tend to impose our own reflection on previous, our own family members, our previous generations of family members, on friends or acquaintances. And our response to God is, you know, Lord, I, I'm not as good as they are. I'm not, I'm not the gifted Bible teacher that that person is. I'm not the gifted singer that that person is. I can't talk to others about Jesus like that individual does. And I have just never been the kind of person that fill in the blank is. And so we tend to run from ourselves. We run from God. We do run from God. We, we do all we can to try to avoid certain responsibilities or certain things that God has placed in front of us, and we run from Him. Oh, we can couch it in spiritual terms. I want you to see what He says. He says, God says, what are you doing here? And then Elijah. And I can imagine Elijah rehearsing this response to God the entire journey. The 90 to 100 miles and then the 40 days after that. I can hear him saying it to my, to himself. You know, Lord, here it is. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. 
God, you're in trouble. You have no other hope other than me. And it looks like I'm heading out of this world. What are you going to do? That's what he's saying. Chuck Swindoll says he's got a bad case of ingrown eyeballs. And that's what happens. We, we lose our focus on Jesus and the focus becomes back on us. And when the attention's on us, it's a very small circle and a very small God that we have created. Because the focus should always, always, always be on the Lord Jesus Christ and how He is going to be honored through our activity. And so, He ran from God and He ran from His success. Have you ever had that situation? I've seen people that have really, really come down hard after serious successes in life, be it business or families or sports or whatever the case might be. Right on the heels of that, they are at their lowest point. Because, you see, defeat comes hard on the heels of success. And he had just come off of Mount Carmel. And... The success against all of those Baal worshippers. And yet, here he was, running for his life. Elijah. Some people believe Murphy's Law is just going to just eat them up, you know. I had a great time, boy, I got this thing all squared away, but I know, I know, the bad things are about to happen because it always comes on the heels of success. And we, we tend to program that into our own minds and our own way of thinking. Some of us run from family and friends. Well, that's pretty obvious. There he was in verse 3. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm running from them too. They don't need to know what's happened to me. They don't need to know what I've done. I run. Sometimes we run by being in crowds. Sometimes we feel that that's all the camouflage that we need. Well, the second thing he did was hid. He hid in a cave. Verse 9 said he, he went into a cave and hid and spent the night. He withdrew. We withdraw. You and I do that. We can withdraw talking to somebody. We can shut down talking to people in a conversation. We can withdraw in our homes. We can withdraw in our churches. We can withdraw anywhere we want to. We can become anonymous in our own way of thinking to others and to the Lord Himself. We can withdraw Elijah felt like if I was just in this cave, nobody would know where I am, who I am, or what I'm up to. However, he he hid from God and others. Well, look what happened. So, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So God responded, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle whisper. King James Version says a still small voice, a gentle whisper. Remember E.F. Hutton's commercial years and years ago? When you, people listen when you whisper. People listen when you whisper. And many times before I have seen 
in disaster relief, how tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, etc. have demolished places, but you see afterwards, in the aftermath of all of that, you hear that still small voice of God. You may not hear it audibly, but you'll see it. And you'll see it in the still whispers of people who are praising God for sparing their lives. People who are being transformed by the hand of God because of something that He has done in this aftermath. That still small voice. That gentle whisper. And here he is. So then he says, When Elijah heard the still small whisper, verse 13 says, He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. In other words, he continued to disobey God by not coming to the mouth of the cave when he was first asked to. So God says, And he responds. That's so much like us. There are some people that are only looking for the extravagant, the extraordinary, the flamboyant, the flagrant intervention of God in order to believe that He exists, that He cares for them. And then there's others that just deny that completely. But they listen to that still small whisper. And God's saying to Elijah, you know... I'm in charge of nature. I have a lot of tools in my disposal. I can do anything I want to. I created this world. I can destroy it. I can re-renovate uh, it. I can do anything I want to to it. The nature is at my beck and call. But I want you. And I'm going to reach you. And so, Elijah goes out to the mouth of the cave. And God asked him a second time, What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? Why are you at this cave? Why are you on Mount Horeb? Why have you left your post? Why have you ceased doing ministry? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Exactly, verbatim. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me also. Well, it's kind of the question to us today is God passing you by? Has He asked you to show up and you just refuse? Maybe you've remained in your cave. Maybe you've remained aloof or remote from Him. Maybe you think, you know, I've, I need a sabbatical. I need a time of rest. I just let somebody else do it for a while. I, I can't do it any longer. I'm, I think I'd just let somebody else have it. Well, have you been zealous in past but not now? That's what Elijah was implying. You know, it's kind of interesting. God uses these gentle whispers, these still small voices to transform not only you and me, but the entire world. When God wanted to save Israel, He sent a baby, Moses. When God wanted to save the entire world, He sent another baby, Jesus. His only begotten Son. It's that still small whisper. Not the flamboyant. Not the fireworks. It's that whisper. Oswald Sanders said, The whispers from Calvary are infinitely more potent than the thunder of Sinai in bringing men to repentance. You're here this morning. 
Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but the Lord is whispering to you. And maybe you're saying, you know, I got into this Christian walk and things didn't go the way that I think they should have. I mean, there's been illness, there's been, there, I've, I've had some financial failures, there's been all kinds of stuff going on. You're like Elijah. You're either going to run, you're going to hide, or you're finally going to be honest with the Lord. Well, one person wrote, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey humbly. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I ask for, but everything that I hope for. I am among all men most richly blessed. Well, for those of us perhaps that have that ingrown eyeball experience, that we've just set ourselves up at the center of our own universe, let me show you how God Responded to Elijah. He told Elijah, these are things that I want you to do in the ministry. You need to report back for duty. And these are the things I want you to do. In addition to to naming your successor, I want you to know, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. I have 7,000 more just like you, Elijah. You're not the only one. And I've called you into my purpose for your benefit. For your benefit. I can use anyone or anything. I've proven it by showing you the forces of nature. I've proven it by calling you into existence. And I have 7,000 people looking to take over. Elijah, it's by grace that I've called you. So... The question that he asked Elijah is one that he asked me every day of my life. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for this tremendous day that you've given us, Lord Jesus. There are people here today who have, there may be someone who has never put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today they will do so. And Lord, I know there may be someone here today who uh, is recommitting their lives to Jesus. Maybe they've run or hidden long enough, and now it's simply time to obey. And Father, I just praise you for who you are and for the decisions that are being made. There may be someone here today who is looking for a church home and would like to unite with this family of, of faith right here at Trinity Baptist Church. Lord, be with each and every one of us, Lord. May we always bring you the glory that you so richly desire. And Lord, let us ask that question. What are we doing here? Be with us now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.